0: With OTAs and minicamp now in the rear of the mirror, the Seahawks are enjoying their summer break, and they believe that they're going to be a contender in the NFC. Where do they rank among the NFC's best? Nick Lee and I are going to be dishing out our post-offseason power rankings here on our Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team Every day, greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Glad to be joined for our Monday episode by my co host, Nick Lee. Different time of week than we're used to seeing, Nick, here on uh, Locked on Seahawks podcast, but glad to have him joining us. And a special thanks to all the 12s, as always, for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen. Five days a week as we do each and every Monday we're going to be tackling your mailbag questions we're going to continue our 90 man rundown with numbers 55 through 51 we're going to start getting some familiar names some guys that have played some games for the Seahawks as we get away from the undrafted ranks and some of the newcomers that have signed with the Seahawks jam-packed episode coming your way courtesy of FanDuel Sportsbook the official sportsbook of the NFL make every moment more visit FanDuel.com locked on today to get started now, for your lead story here on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. Up to this point, we've seen teams out in the field with OTAs, mini camps, rookie mini camp, you name it. All of that is in the rearview mirror now for the entire NFL. We've moved into the summer break for NFL players. They get six weeks before the start of training camp. And with that being said, now, Nick, I think it's funny when we see post draft or post free agency power rankings because We really don't know what teams are going to exactly look like until we get to about this time of year. And there's going to be a few other signings that are made in the beginning of training camp. But really, most of the big moves have been made. The teams look the way they are going to look going into training camp. And so with that being said, the Seahawks expect to be a contender in the NFC. Now seems like the time to look at where they stack up against the rest of the elite in the conference how close are they really to being a contender? And I know that you and I are in similar realms, but we have some different teams at different spots in our power rankings. And I'm curious to see where you have the Seahawks falling compared to the rest of the league.
1: Yeah, the, I think it's a pretty safe assumption. The Eagles are right now the the cream of the crop in the NFC. They they got to the Super Bowl, NFC champions, and then they only got better this offseason. Really, I mean. The, the defensive line was historically good last year, and then they, uh, they oh, they had Jalen Carter, <laughs> so that's that that's a they had a really really good offseason. In fact, you could you could probably argue that of all the teams, I know this is a cautionary tale, but the Eagles quote won the offseason, um, and, and so I think they're squarely number one in their own tier for me in the NFC at least, and then in the tier two, um, I have the Niners, and only because um, everything around the quarterback besides quarterback they are an elite team. They are. They have elite weapons. They have an elite, you know, run game, uh, good offensive line, really good defensive line, defense. Um, really the biggest question mark for them is quarterback. It's kind of a mess a little bit. Uh, it, it, who the heck knows when Brock Purdy is going to return? Um, or, and, and when he does return, will the Magic run out? Um, will, will, will the, the N- teams around the NFC and around the NFL get more film on him and, you know, kind of do what the Eagles did to him in the NFC title or hopefully not hurt him, but, you know, um, you know, shut them down for the most part. Because even if, if you play, I'm, I'm of the opinion that if even if he plays a full game against the Eagles, the Eagles still win that game, I think, pretty handily. Um, so the Niners are in their own tier. And then it's a cluster of teams besides that. Um, the Cowboys are in there. Seahawks are in there. Um, and this is where I start to think, okay, so the Seahawks meet this team on a neutral site. Who wins? Cowboys, I think, would be a really nice test. Um, but I do think that the Seahawks would beat the, the Vikings and the Lions. Um, people kind of are starting to like. I, I've seen a little bit of like laughing that seeing people rank the Lions so high, and I think that those people aren't paying attention. Um, yeah. The Lions have done some really nice things this year, and they're building off of a really nice finish to last year. I think they're going to be pretty dangerous. Vikings, I think their their defense was a mess last year, but they made some you know, improvements um, in the coaching staff and personnel. So I think the Seahawks are squarely in the, uh, in, the in the four five range in the NFC, um, squarely of course in the playoff mix. I got the Giants in that tier two, and I, I jokingly, um, so so I have tier one Eagles, tier two 49ers by themselves, tier three Cowboys, Seahawks, Vikings, Lions, and Giants, and then tier four, I jokingly put the NFC South, because <laughs> the whole NFC South system has then, of course, uh, you got the uh, N- N- NFC North, I guess, too, besides the Vikings and, and Lions, you got the Packers moving on from Rodgers. Um, and then you got the Bears there. I think the Bears could, could be sneaky in, 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 this, in that division as well. But the NFC South is kind of a mess. Um, who knows what's going to happen from, from so much turnover that – and then the Cardinals. Talk about messes. They're, they're an absolute mess. So um, that, that's Tier 4. So I think the Seahawks are, are in that good, maybe not truly great, NFC teams right now. But, of course, it's really hard to tell um, without you know having, these, having some of these games play out. But they're going to play the Lions – Week two, right off the bat, and I think that's going to be a really, really nice test on the road, um, what, uh, what this team's capable of.
0: Yeah, I normally have five or six tiers because normally you're non-playoff teams. You can differentiate them, but I feel like in this NFC, with all the quarterbacks that have defected over to the other conference, it just feels like there's just this big batch of teams that all are equals. It feels like any given game they could beat each other but I don't view any of them being good enough to necessarily threaten for winning division. Now, somebody's got to win the NFC South, so one of those teams is going to win. But for me, I've got the Seahawks in a very similar spot. I actually have the Dallas Cowboys as my number two team in the NFC, and I know that some people are going to laugh at that because Dak Prescott did not have a great season by his standards last year. But I am much more optimistic that Dak Prescott adding Brandon Cooks to an already pretty solid receiving core, the run game that they have, The defense that they have, I think, is a top five defense in the NFL. I think that they have the better quarterback than what San Francisco has, regardless of whether Brock Purdy's back or not. I just think Dallas is a team that has a chance to maybe finally take that step this year where they can really compete with the Philadelphia Eagles and try to get to a Super Bowl. So I've got the Cowboys and 49ers at tier two. Seattle, to me, is number four. And I think that they have a little bit of separation for the other teams on this list. I've got the Detroit Lions. I know people, like you said, are laughing about it, but I think Detroit is a giant in weight. They have all kinds of good young talent both sides of the ball. I like their coaching staff. This is where you and I differentiate a little bit. I actually have the New York Giants in Tier 4 because I still don't trust Daniel Jones enough for me to, to put them in that list. And meanwhile – I know everybody is sleeping on the L.A. Rams, but I can see the Rams being like the Seahawks last year where nobody expects them to do much. But if you have a healthy Matt Stafford, Aaron Donald, and Cooper Cup, I like their draft class too. And we saw what happened with Seattle last year. If your rookies come in and they make some plays and you've got some talented veterans, you can be very competitive. I like their coaching staff. I think the Rams are a team to watch out for to sneak into the playoffs. And I know a lot of people laugh about that. There's people out there thinking they're a six-win team. If they have injuries, it's going to be hard for them to overcome those because I still think depth is a concern, but there's still enough talent there. that I've got the Rams and the Vikings being the last two teams in that tier. And then the top of Tier 4, I could see the Saints if Derek Carr really works out and the defense keeps playing well. I could see the Saints being respectable. I think the New York Giants have some weapons, but again, it goes back to I just don't trust Daniel Jones even after winning a playoff game last year. I'm just wondering what's the next step look like for him. And then there's just a bunch of hodgepodge of teams there that I think are probably not contenders. Unless you play in the NFC South, you might have a fighting chance to be able to to win that division. But there's some pretty bad teams in the NFC. If Kyler Murray comes back healthy, maybe Arizona's better than expected. But I think Arizona and Tampa Bay are clearly the two worst teams in this conference right now. Going into the 2023 season, I feel like the Seahawks are in a pretty good spot where if things really click, they might be able to be in that tier two group. I just don't know that anybody catches the Philadelphia Eagles as long as they avoid the injury bug. They are just loaded on both sides of the ball. But the Seahawks are in a good position where maybe they can compete with the 49ers in the NFC West. Maybe they can be one of those tier two teams. But it feels like there really is seven or eight teams there at the top, and then there's just a big drop-off. And that's assuming those seven or eight teams stay healthy. Again, teams like the Rams, it might be a little more of a struggle for them because they don't have as much depth, and they lost a lot of talented players this offseason. Coming up next, Nick and I are going to tackle your questions in our Monday mailbag. Don't go away. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sprint Your 40 Time over to the FanDuel website as the NFL season quickly approaches. Because right now, new customers can get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets. If your first bet doesn't win, just download a FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from season awards to week one props to exact regular season win totals. Even with training camps still a month away, I'm excited to dig into season props such as NFL MVP, Rookie of the Year, and much more. Regardless of what prop you choose, you'll get paid instantly if you win. There's no better place to bet on all the upcoming football action than America's number one sportsbook. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on and get a no-sweat first bet to $1,000. That's fanduel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NFL. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined for today's show by my co-host, Nick Lee. He decided to switch from the back end of the week to the front end of the week. Really excited to have him on for the show. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there. Whether you're listening from Spokane or in Idaho, we greatly appreciate you making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Coming up tomorrow for everydayers, Round two of our Throwback Tuesday, latest edition, the all-underrated team, all-time Seahawks. We're going to be going running back and corner. That's going to be a really fun episode, so you won't want to miss it. Let's get to your mailbag questions now, shall we? And I know Nick has been really excited about this first one since it was submitted to us this morning. And this one coming from Chase Rydell, one of our regulars. Who is this year's Tariq Woolen who is a day three draft pick that becomes a star and makes the Pro Bowl? Nick, this is not something that happens a lot. So fans maybe are being a little bit um, a little bit in fantasy thinking it's going to happen two years in a row. But at the same time, the Seahawks have made this happen several times under Pete Carroll and John Schneider.
1: Yeah, Chase, I really appreciate this question. It got me thinking a little bit and and had me go down a rabbit hole. A little bit. Uh, of course, this is something uh, t- the Tariq Woolen pick was, of course, vintage John Schneider and Pete Carroll vintage, um, finding that diamond in day three. Um, and, and certainly it's possible what, what I what I think I'm going to answer this in two parts. One, temper expectations a little bit. Um, expecting there to be a day three pro bowler every year is unrealistic. <laughs> um, it's it's possible. Also, it's, that's not quite fair because it's, it's possible to have a successful day three pick without them becoming immediate pro bowl you know stars. Um, in fact, I went back to the last three drafts that have played uh, you know, a season, at least 2020, 2021 and 2022 draft classes and three full classes. Only four day three picks have become pro bowlers. So that's about one per year around the whole league. Uh, Tariq Woolen was that last year. So Tyler Biotish um, from the from the uh, Cowboys, Amon Ross, and Brown, uh, Talanoa Hafunga and Tariq Woolen are the only four as far as I can tell of the day three draft picks in the last three drafts to become pro bowl or so far. Um, so that being said, if I had to pick one this year to become, you know, kind of a diamond in the rough, so to speak um, rise above their day three status and become, you know, a, a, a stud it's Ola Ola Timmy. I mean, the center uh, out of Michigan, I think that he'll not that he, I don't think he'll threaten to, you know, to win offensive rookie of the year. I don't know how a center could possibly be in that discussion just um, by circumstances. He might disagree and I kind of do too, but um, I could see a world where he's entrenched as a starter very early this season and possibly a pro bowler within the first two, three seasons, much like Tyler Biotis in, in Dallas, who became a starter, uh, you know, pretty much a full-time starter in year two, and then was a pro bowler last year, his third season, his second full season as the starter at center. I can see that being a situation for Oluwatimi and that'd be a dream for me.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go with a Michigan player too, but not the same one. I... You know, if we're talking about Pro Bowl, I find it hard to believe, and I'm a believer in Oluwatimi. Those that have listened to our podcast know that I think he's going to start week one. I think he's going to win the starting job. But I think Mike Morris has the potential to be the best day three draft selection that the Seahawks made. And this is just coming from me watching him on the practice field. And I know we haven't put the pads on yet. And maybe he won't be impressive at all when we get to the actual football part of things in August. I just don't see that happening, though. I see a kid that... It's 6'6", around 300 pounds. He doesn't look like he weighs 300 pounds. He looks like he's 270, 275. And he's just a mountain of a man. And then you watch the quickness. He was not fast to play off edge. But as a three-tech, this dude has elite athleticism. And I'm just really excited to see what he can do penetrating gaps, playing that three-tech position I think with the depth concern Seattle has there, I think Mike Morris is going to play a lot as the season progresses. He might even end up being a starter down the line by the end of the year. So it would really be a reach to say he's going to make the Pro Bowl. But if he's starting games at the end of the season, this guy's getting a bunch of tackles for loss and sacks, which I think his skill set and his athleticism lends itself to. I think pass rushing is going to be where he's at his best early Those are the things that lead to Pro Bowls, those kind of numbers in the sacks and tackle for loss department. So it's a dark horse pick. I don't know if there's a guy on this team that can do it from this draft class to be a Pro Bowler, but Morris is playing a position where you can get those sexy stats to be able to become a Pro Bowler. Our next question coming from Bryce on YouTube. Do you think we should bring back Alex Magoo after what he's done in the USFL? Are you surprised at the success he's having? I would have laughed at this question a few weeks ago, Nick, but Magoo's got 20 touchdowns and five interceptions in the USFL right now. He is probably the MVP of the league so far.
1: Yeah, I'm still going to kind of laugh at it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, because uh, it's it's Alex Magoo, and we, we kind of had this process with him. And let's be real, he's doing this against fringe practice squad guys mostly. Um, and and I, I've never doubted that he's, you know, of the, you know, Third, fourth quarterback depth chart kind of guys. He is pretty talented, and uh, but I think the Seahawks have vetted this out a little bit. I actually not so much as a knock on Alex Magoo, but I actually really like Holt Naylor's. I do uh, as the third quarterback. He's I, th- I think I read he was eleventh all time in the FBS for career passing yards. I mean he put up video game numbers at East Carolina tour, yeah. my BYU Cougars. That was a tough watch, but um, he he was just, he's an extremely you know efficient. Productive quarterback at ECU, um, so mo- mainly it's because I actually kind of like him as the, you know the practice squad third quarterback kind of guy for now, and of course Drew Locke is a is a pretty quality backup. So Alex Magoo, good for him. You know he he should get all the accolades that come with being the best player in the USFL, perhaps, but I'm not sure we should go that far.
0: Yeah, this is not the USFL from the early 1980s where you were competing against Jim Kelly and Steve Young and some of those guys. It's a different league, so. Uh, congrats to him. He's doing a great job there. And I I hope this leads to another opportunity for him. I just, I am with you. I think Holton Aylers is a superior player at this point. And we've already seen what Magoo can do against NFL competition. Next question from Marcus on YouTube. How do you see Kenny McIntosh impacting how many receivers Seattle keeps with his positional flexibility? Could that steal a spot away at that position? I think this is an excellent question because McIntosh has played A little bit on the outside and in the slot he does have some receiver capabilities that being said i don't think that's something the seahawks are going to do a lot with him so i don't think his ability to catch the football and move around around the formation i don't think that that is going to impact how many receivers the seahawks keep i think if special teams come into play and you've got six receivers that you want to keep on the 53 then you keep six guys And Kenny McIntosh can still contribute on special teams as well. So I don't think this has much bearing on the decision-making process at the receiver position. I would say if you have a fourth tight end that emerges, the tight end would be more likely to be a position that maybe would boot somebody off that receiving depth chart being on the roster. But I don't think McIntosh is going to be a guy that's going to have much sway on that going into training camp Brendan tweets if the Seahawks are so keen on playing Mike Jackson why not see if he can play in the slot since you invested such a high pick in Witherspoon am I crazy thinking it is a non-starter to discuss anybody but Witherspoon starting across from Woolen this is a good question Nick but I think you and I probably are the same viewpoint here why this is not a possibility at least the first part of this question
1: Right. Yeah. And just to answer your second part, yeah, it's, you're not crazy <laughs> to think that. So this isn't, I think at least it's a non-starter just because of the draft capital that you invested in Witherspoon. He's got to be your starter. If he's not your starter week one, um, I think that's a disappointment just with, with the, the you know, the, the drafts, you know, investment you have in Witherspoon. Um, and I, I do think you got to keep Mike Jackson. I, I, I don't think that that's something I don't think that's a guy you can kind of cast aside quite yet. Um, I think the cornerback room is certainly deeper than when uh, Mike Jackson was playing and uh, starting last year. But uh, yeah, I, I'm going to more focus on the second part and say, if Devin Witherspoon is healthy and not starting opposite Tariq Woolen in week one, I'm extremely disappointed.
0: Yeah, and I think personally that Jackson just doesn't necessarily have the skill set to play inside. I would worry about him having to do two-way defense where he doesn't have the boundary. I think he is a pure boundary corner with his size, his length, his physicality. There's some things I think he could do inside, but I would worry about the quickness going against slot receivers. And I think Seattle's got a number of guys that are better fits in there. So he's a really good depth piece. To have on the outside if one of your outside guys gets banged up he can start to pinch and play at a high level so that is a good problem to have and the last question here coming from sarah tweets in your opinions which second year player is the biggest wild card for this team so from that heralded draft class a year ago nick who is the biggest wild card in your opinion going into year two here in 2023
1: i kind of looked at this more as a positive light than a negative one where maybe a guy that broke out in 2022 might regress. I'm not going to focus more on that. I'll focus on a guy that, um, kind of went under the radar last year. Um, you know, some of it outside of his control that I think could, could springboard into a solid sophomore season. That's Tariq Smith, uh, the the, you know, the, the rusher. I think that that's, he's a guy that I think the coaches are still pretty bullish on as well. Um, I think that, 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 that edge you know defensive end room is, is really rounding into form so uh, I'm gonna go on the on the route of maybe a guy that didn't make a huge impact last year that could this year and that's Tariq Smith uh, more so than maybe one of the solid rookies from last year regressing
0: yeah he's gonna have a Daryl Taylor type opportunity he didn't get to play at all his rookie season because of injury so we haven't got to see what he can do the Seahawks still seem to be pretty enthused about him he would be the natural selection for that one but I'm actually going to go, and this is going to surprise some people because I know that Jackson Smith and Jigba has been added to this football team. I know that D. Eskridge is still here, but I'm going to say Derrick Young for this one because I think derek Young, he brings a unique skill set that nobody else in that receiving core can bring. He can play fullback. He had a couple really nice blocks at fullback last year, and I just think his ability to block, and he's got untapped potential as a guy that you just get the ball to him and let him go to work with his size and his athleticism. I don't know there's a lot of offensive snaps available for him there, but I think he's still going to be a very good special teams player. I can see him being involved a little bit with jet sweeps. He might get to return some kicks this year. There's a lot of different things you can do with him, and if you're going to use a fullback – Maybe that's the guy that you plug in there if he plays a game and maybe give him some carries. He was a running back part of his career in college. So I don't know the stats are necessarily going to be there just because of the addition of Jackson Smith and Jigba, but Dariq Young is a guy that really progressed as his rookie year went on. And he's got athleticism that not many guys in this roster can touch. So I'm going to go with Dariq Young being a guy that could be a wild card to watch from that group going into his sophomore season. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined for this show by Nick Lee and a special thanks to all the 12s out there as always for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen 5 days a week for every dayers out there tomorrow Rob Rang will be back and the two of us will continue our all underrated squad with running backs and quarters should be a jam-packed episode. We'll also continue our 90 man countdown and speaking of 90 man countdown We are now to numbers 55 through 51. We're almost to the halfway point in our countdown. We're going to start getting some familiar names that fans are going to know that have played in some games for the Seahawks. And in fact, the first guy on our countdown today did just that last season as an undrafted rookie, the latest undrafted gem that the Seahawks mined. And Nick, I don't think either one of us throughout the offseason, I got to give Rob credit. He was the one that thought Joey Blunt was a dark horse to make this football team. But I just thought with the safety Seattle had, there was no way he was going to make this team. And yet he did. And he ended up posting eight tackles on special teams before he went down for the season. And he was one of their best special teams players last year. And there's been a lot of buzz about him at the same time. They drafted a safety. They added Julian Love. So this is not a guaranteed lock that he is going to hang around on this roster.
1: No, there isn't. Um, He was, I don't want to use the term special teams ace, but he was pretty darn close last year. He, Eight special teams tackles, and um, yeah, he had really, really solid grades. And hit. I think he's one of those guys that kind of hits above his frame limits, as well. Good vision, instincts. Um, he's a guy that's a. He's got those traits that you you seek in a special teams player. Is he going to become you know Pro Bowl safety in this league? Probably not. Um, but that doesn't mean that he can't be a solid contributor. Now, yeah, with the moves the Seahawks have made draft and free agency, I think that Blunt's you know, situation becomes a bit more tenable this year. Um, But I I like his game. I like where he's at in his role. But it's going to come down to can he continue to make himself more valuable in special teams when the Seahawks have brought in so much
0: similar talent. I feel like Joey Blunt and uh, Jarek the second their sixth-round pick, I feel like those two are competing for one roster spot right now, and that is really to maybe be Quandre Diggs' successor a year or two from now too. So I think the Seahawks are going to be looking towards the future – while also looking at the present with both these players. Now, maybe both of them end up making the team because they can both play special teams. But Jared Reed is a player the Seahawks are really fired up about. You could just see it with the way John Schneider was smiling after the draft talking about this kid. And he's, quite frankly, a little better athlete. He's played more positions than Blunt, but Blunt's got the special teams experience. He's played in games. So that really could be a competition in itself just to earn a roster spot between those two with an eye towards potentially one of those guys being your free safety down the road. If you move on from Quandre Diggs after his contract expires in a couple seasons. So he's got a lot riding on this. There's no guarantee he makes his football team with all the great things he did last year. Seattle made that secondary that much better. And Jamal Adams is expected to be back healthy too. So I don't know how many spots are available on the depth chart there, especially with Jonathan Sutherland being an emerging player as well in the offseason program. Now let's get back to our undrafted rookies. And me personally, this is one of the guys that I am most excited about just because He is a human firework, and that is Matt Landers. This kid played at three different schools in college. So that is something I always look at with a little – and today's era, maybe I can't view it as negatively because guys have the transfer portal and things are opened up. It's basically college free agency. But he bounced around, didn't play much at Georgia – But last year, 47 receptions, 901 yards, eight touchdowns, almost 20 yards per reception at Arkansas. The year before, he averaged more than 20 yards per reception at Toledo. He is a true one-trick pony, Nick. This is not a guy that is going to wow you with his route running precision. He's not going to beat you much in the short to intermediate game, at least at this point. But he's 6'4", and he's 200 pounds, runs a 4'3", 7'40". Those traits lead to downfield success. He can win jump balls. You know Pete Carroll loves the explosives. So if this kid can excel with that one trick, then I think he's got a really good chance to make this football team as that sixth receiver. Of course, special teams is going to weigh into that too. But with that athleticism, you hope that there's a way you can get him involved. Maybe he can return kicks or punts too. We'll have to wait and see. But this guy is that rare 6'4", 437, 40 guy that you just don't find very much in the NFL. So I think he's going to get every opportunity to show off what he can do. And if he's really good winning downfield, that is a good enough trick to make an NFL team as an undrafted player.
1: Yeah, as far as boxes to check, as far as you know, guys, you want to take flyers on. He does. I mean, he's he he should garner NFL interest absolutely. Led the tw- pretty explosive twenty twenty two Arkansas Razorbacks in receiving yards. And the term I, I just kind of was reading some scouting reports on him uh, as, as the Seahawks signed him, and, and the term that I saw more than once was ball winner. And at 6'4", that's that's what you'd expect. Yeah, maybe he's not the sloppy, not the not the sharpest route runner. Get kind of thrown out of rhythm by some physical cornerbacks, but I, I do think he has a solid shot to uh, make some noise, at least in the preseason. Maybe he'll be this year's version, you know, Jazz Ferguson. Or, <laughs> uh, you know, I know that didn't quite turn out the way fans thought, but like just that hype from preseason, making some preseason plays, I can see him um, making some exciting highlight reel plays in August, um, leading to uh, perhaps some buzz about him making the 53 man roster. I, I, that one trick is a nice trick if it's truly um one that he can polish and get better at to to win downfield um that's something that every every NFL team covets and wants more of so if that's truly something he can hone in and sharpen i think that's that 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 bodes really well for him but i think that i could at least see him being a, like a preseason darling
0: yeah he might be in that Troy Main Pope class you know those guys that just come in and just put up ridiculous numbers in preseason games That doesn't always mean you're making the football team, but I do think that Landers has an outside chance to get on this squad. Let's go back to the defensive side of the ball. And this is a player last year when we were talking about our 90 man, we didn't even know if he was going to play in any games because he was coming back from a torn ACL that was suffered late in his rookie year. And that's John Radigan, who was an All-American his last year at Army in 2020, had a really impressive rookie year going before that injury. I still look at him as a guy that the Seahawks – are trying to mold potentially to play on defense next year because think about who's going to be a free agent you've got bobby wagner jordan brooks and devin bush they're all going to be free agents next year who knows from that group is going to be back in 2024 and now that radigan's more than a year removed from injury this guy was a tackle machine in his last year at army and he's just got the instincts the athleticism the toughness that the Seahawks value. And I think he's one of the few guys in their backup ranks that can really handle middle linebacker playing in a three, four scheme. And oh, by the way, he had good coverage numbers at Army too. So this guy can drop back a little bit. I feel like Radigan is a guy that's kind of been forgotten a little bit because of last year's injury that could still end up being a guy that maybe plays some defensive snap for Seattle down the road. Not this year, most likely, but I could see in 2024, him him re-entering, re-emerging that discussion.
1: Yeah, in his first two years in the NFL over – or almost 350 special team snaps, 15 tackles, a fumble recovery. And it, it's <clears> – <throat> he's a solid special teamer, like like Blunt we mentioned. Um, and I, I think if this year he's taking snaps at linebacker or something has gone horribly wrong. <laughs> um, but he, I, I could see that where, um, of course, when you, when you get a guy from a, a military academy, you automatically, th- you know, assume intelligence, maturity, which – Is safe to assume because they almost always are. And Radigan does fit that mold. Um, So, and that's half the battle of being a linebacker. You are kind of the quarterback of that defense and you got to be intelligent. You got to think on your feet. You got to have instincts and John Radigan does have those things. Um, I do see guys, see guys like, you know, Vi Jones giving him a bit of a push if we're talking depth at linebacker. Um, But as far as a solid special teams guy, he's like your dream. I mean, just the, the, the backstory um, just a solid dude that, that makes plays when, when at, and does pretty much what he's asked. Um, you, you bring up a good point about him possibly being groomed next year. Um, I, I do got to see a little bit from him this year before we're, we're getting excited about that. But I think that is an interesting notion to kind of put a sticky note on for 2023 going forward.
0: Yeah, that's really what it is. This is more of just you're, you're getting the dog here on your page. Hey, this is something just, it could happen, maybe it doesn't, but he is a guy I know that the organization holds in really high regard. Now, going to the secondary, this is not a name I expected we were going to be talking about because Artie Burns had an unfortunate, disappointing season in Seattle last year. He was the starter at right cornerback in the beginning of training camp, and I'm going to be honest, Nick. The first week of training camp, he was one of Seattle's best players on defense, and he gave D.K. Metcalf fits. He had a couple swatted passes defending him. I was like, you know, this guy, he played well for Sean Desai in Chicago the year before. This guy might be able to fill a void in the secondary, but then he gets a hamstring injury, and we know what happens. Tariq Woolen seizes the opportunity, gets third rookie of the year balloting. So, Artie Burns was not signed until last month. He was on the free agent scrap heap, and Seattle brought him back. He played in just three games last year. And this really just looks like an insurance policy to me. And I think in today's NFL, with the practice squad rules, the way, way they are now set up, are now set up where you can bring in a guy like Artie Burns and you can have experienced veterans on your practice squad. That feels like the ceiling, unless something goes horribly wrong and you have some guys get hurt during training camp. I don't see him making this football team, but this is about as good of an insurance policy as you can have on your practice squad—a 29-year-old former first-round pick that has started almost 40 games in the NFL. I just don't see him cracking this roster, though.
1: Yeah, file him under you know solid veteran depth. Um, you know, certainly into camp. And but when you when you throw in Devin Witherspoon, Michael Jackson, Tariq Wollen, Trey Brown, um, and you know guys like Lance Boykin and James Campbell and Isaiah Dunn, these these guys are coming in you know, hungry for some snaps and for, for a spot. And, you know, especially with, I think Trey Brown is still kind of a wild card as well. This, this, the car, the deck is stacked against Burns, so to speak, but I, I'm not sure we should totally discount him quite yet. Um, this is stuff. This is a guy who turned in an 85.1 coverage grade for Chicago in 2021. So he came off a pretty solid year injuries again, played him, of course, um, shouldn't be counted out as far as making this roster, but I think it is a little bit stacked against him just because there is more youth around him than there was before. And yeah, I think that that was his start of camp last year. That was his time. And unfortunately that, that, that just, that's that kind of is a perfect, you know, so you know, microcosm of the NFL, you have your shot. And if, you know, if things don't go right, it's a cruel game. And it's kind of a a meat market, you know, for, for kind of, to kind of be callous there is just, if you, you're going to, you can't get it done you're hurt next guy up and if he shines you're kind of out of it and that's kind of what happened to, to Artie burns but we'll, we'll wait and see and you know maybe he comes back and and impresses and in camp but even then
0: solid veteran depth at best and he's also going to be wearing number three in the practice field which is just still going to be really strange to me Here. that anybody not named russell wilson is wearing that number in practice but that's where we are at now uh with new rules allowing corners to wear single digit numbers now you mentioned the cards being stacked against Burns, I feel that way about this next player. And it stinks that I feel this way because I thought Alton Robinson a couple years ago, his rookie season, I thought he looked like a potential starter in waiting. He had four sacks, his rookie year in a limited rotational role, almost 20 pressures. It just felt like every time he was in the game, good things happened. He would get in the backfield to make tackles for a loss. He set the edge well against the run. And maybe he impacts things last year with the way their run defense was. Maybe him being available, their run defense is somewhat better just from him being you know, being on the field for some snaps. But he missed all last year with a knee injury. He had a bulky knee for part of his second season, and he still is not back. And that's really where things get worrisome here. Pete Carroll made it sound like he was still a long way away from being back. He mentioned him with Brian Monet, and we think Brian Monet is probably going to miss at least a quarter of the season, if not more coming back from a torn ACL. So Robinson is really in a difficult situation. I think he's a talented player when he's healthy, but he has not been able to get over the hump with his knee injury. Maybe he gets back for training camp and we see the burst and the strength and the ability to defend the run and rush the passer that we saw his rookie year, part of the second season before the knee started bugging him. But they just added Derek Hall. I think Oniogo is a player that might be gunning for some snaps. Tyree Smith is back healthy, unlike Robinson. It just feels like there's a lot stacked against him right now. But if he can come back healthy, he could still have a really good chance to make this team. There's just a lot of ifs here. And this feels like that meat market analogy that you just said. If you can't get healthy and you're not available, uh, the Seahawks are going to bring other guys in. They already have brought in other players in. And you could be looking at, being an odd man out and on the free agent market at the start of the season.
1: Yeah. I mean, you, you painted a pretty good picture there. Um, a, a, a solemn one for sure for him, a grim one. He had four sacks and 336 snaps in his rookie year. Like you mentioned, he looks, he came out pretty much gangbusters as far as, you know, his draft status could come. And then it was pretty sapped in his, in 2021, just one sack while playing more snaps, but playing hurts. And Lasha didn't play at all, of course. And yeah, chin, making the last two years, really, a Chinon Drafting Boyamafe, Derek Hall, um, I, he is squarely on the bubble. Um, yeah, Tarek Smith, like like I mentioned before. So, yeah, he is squarely on the bubble. I think the coaches are still pretty bullish on him if he can stay healthy. But I think asking him to come back relatively soon in camp or even to start the season and not have that knee injury sap a little bit of that explosiveness might be asking a lot, maybe too much. It's That's definitely going to be something to watch for in camp
0: yeah it's unfortunate timing because like I said if he's not able to get back on the field and it gives you insurance that's on the pup list to start the season somebody gets banged up you can activate him and that's one of the nice things I guess if you're able to stash a player like that that can come back but at the same time coming back in the middle of the season can be tricky especially when you haven't played for more than a year so he's got a lot stacked against him right now and I'm hoping he's able to get back soon so that he can compete and maybe get back on the roster but it's no given that he's going to be on his football team with the other moves that they have made, bolstering that edge rush. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Nick at Nick Lee51. Subscribe and follow Locked on Seahawks on Apple Podcasts and wherever you listen to your podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. Coming up tomorrow, I'll be rejoined by Rob Rang, and the two of us will be continuing our ultimate all underrated Seahawks squad with running backs and corners and we'll advance into the 40s in our 90-man countdown jam-packed episode hope to be listening in thanks for tuning into this episode go Hawks